What is up, plant people? It is Tuesday, March 10th, 2020, and it is time for some bonus content. So excited. Vikram Baliga here again with you for the second week in a row. You get to hear my voice or have to hear my voice, depending on how you feel about all this. Uh, and I want to bring you our first live show that we did uh, just a couple of weeks ago at Lubbock Con 2020. It was just so much fun. It's actually my first con in general. So it was a, a new experience for me, and I really loved every second of it. But um, I was asked to come and do a live show of Planthropology, and I was at first I was like, oh, I don't know. Does it really fit? I don't know. And uh, Danae Cortez, the founder, director, I'm not actually sure what her official title is, but she was like, you're such a nerd. The show's so nerdy. People love it. Come on out. So I did a show about um, plants in sci-fi and fantasy series and world building and all that. And it was a dorky, nerdy, good time. So I wanted to go ahead and read a review for you because that's the thing that we do these days. And uh, this one is on iTunes by a user who calls themselves this guy over here, you know. So I don't know this guy over here, but that's okay. Uh, the title of this review is Great Listen, and it says, When I first checked out the podcast, I wasn't quite sure what to expect. I was pleasantly surprised to find a podcast that offers educational topics through casual conversations between passionate plant people. I personally like to listen in on my afternoon drive home. Well, thanks a lot, bro, Chacho. That's super cool, and I hope we make your drive home a little bit better. But again, glad you're with me for this bonus episode. It's lots of fun. I had some friends that actually showed up for the live show, and you'll hear from them a little bit, which was also really cool. So strap yourselves in for a nerdy good time and get ready for Planthropology Live from Lubbock Con 2020. Hope you love it. Okay, well, we'll go ahead and get started. We have a whole hour, but we won't probably use a whole hour. Um, so thanks for coming. Uh, this is the first live show of the Planthropology podcast. So yes, I made up a word, and Planthropology is not a real word, I promise. Uh, but I made it up, and I'll tell the story a little bit here in just a second of how this whole thing kind of came about when it started, and then we'll jump into it. So we're going to talk today about... Uh, um, plants in like sci-fi and fantasy series and world building and that kind of stuff as well. Um, so who is this guy? Why, why are you sitting here listening to me chatter about nerdy plant stuff? Um, I'm the host of this, this podcast. My name is Vikram Baliga. Um, I'm an instructor at Texas Tech University in the plant and soil science department. So I'm not teaching right now, but I'll teach labs, introductory horticulture stuff, that kind of thing. Um, probably be teaching a few more classes starting in the fall. Uh, I'm a grad student, so I'm about to finish my PhD in horticulture. I should be done. <laughs> I don't, the, the, these four over here, or at least three of the four of these people know me, and they know that I'm really bad at writing in like school. So when I say I'm going to finish in August, they're like, come on. Come on, man. Um, <clears throat> so I also manage the greenhouse and horticultural garden on campus. So if you're ever on campus at Texas Tech over by the rec center and you see the big line of trees and the plants and stuff, uh, that's where I spend most of my time, as well as, again, these people here. Um, and then I'm a thunderous plant nerd. Like, I'm super nerdy about plants. I, uh, uh, when, I when I was first asked to do a panel for this, I was like... 
you know, it's it's a con. I'm not really sure if plants are appropriate. And, and Danae, who's the, I guess, director or founder or whatever, was like, you are like the biggest nerd I know. You're fine. I was like, okay, fair enough, fair enough. So um, Plantropology is a podcast really just about plant people. We talk about subject matter and we talk about the plants themselves and all those things, but really I'm more interested in the people that work in this field. So everything from nature and the environment and climate and plants and agriculture, and there's a lot of dad jokes and really just stupid humor on this podcast. So if you find it, if you listen to it, um, expect just some just some really dumb jokes. Uh, but that's, uh, I have a four-year-old, I'm a dad, I'm supposed to make dad jokes. It is actually in the contract that you sign when they allow you to have children. That's not a thing. Um, just and, and you can take what I say seriously about 40% of the time. I just talk and uh, just be prepared for that as well. So uh, today, so I'll tell a little bit more uh, about the podcast getting started and, and our listeners out there. So this will actually get posted, not this coming week, but the, the following week on the podcast. So if you look it up on really anywhere podcasts live, you can find it. Um, but it started because I was talking to a friend of mine one day at the greenhouse, uh, probably about a year ago, uh, a little bit more than a year ago, actually. And we were just hanging out chatting. And this guy is like, if there's a thing about plants, this guy named Kyle Tangler, who was actually the first episode of the show knows it. And I don't know how he does it. He has like a bachelor's degree in computer science and a master's degree in horticulture. And he's about to go to med school. Like one of the smartest humans I think that's alive right now. And, uh, we were just talking about like mesquite trees and like native and indigenous peoples that lived in this area and how they manage the land and all these things. And at the end of the, 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 time we were talking, I was like, you know what, this would be a super podcast. Like, I think people would listen to this. Of course, nobody's as nerdy about this stuff as me and Kyle are probably, but I was like, I think this is interesting. I think these are the stories about the environment and the reasons to, to protect the environment that people need to hear. And I think people need to hear that there are actual humans out there that care and that study these things and that are into uh, making sure our world still is green and is around in you know a couple of hundred years. So uh, that's kind of where this started. I kind of put on the back burner for a while and then for whatever reason, at some point in the Actually, I do know why, because I don't want to finish my like finish my PhD. And so instead of writing and doing all the things that would help me graduate, I was like, you know what? I'm going to start a podcast. That'll be smart. And so uh, we kicked off last October. Um, this uh, this week, we I think episode nine goes up on Tuesday. So we release an episode every other week, plus some bonus stuff. There's a Facebook group and a Facebook page and all kinds of stuff. So it's been a lot of fun. It's been pretty well received, and it's I've, I've enjoyed doing it. So, today, we're going to talk about plants in sci-fi and fantasy universes. Um, by the way, when I teach, I really, I rarely get to use GIFs in PowerPoint presentations, and that's a thing I learned I could do. And so, I went for it today. So, you'll see a few GIFs and, and stuff. And so, I don't know if you're out there on Facebook land, how well you can see it, uh, but it's there. It's on the on the screen over here. So um, we'll talk about plants in general and nature in uh, sci-fi and fantasy universes and in world building. Um, we'll talk about plant friends in these universes. We'll talk about plant fiends in these universes. Uh, and then some real plants that are actually just as weird as, almost as weird, 
okay, maybe not quite as weird, but that are also weird uh, that you see in our world today that are actual live plants. Um, and also be thinking about it. If you have any plant questions, um, think about them. We'll do a Q&A at the end. It can be about the presentation. It can be about just plants in general. I've got a few from our Facebook group and from the internet that if nobody has any questions in here, I'll answer. But uh, if y'all think of things that you've always, you know, I don't know that people have like burning plant questions, but if you have one, uh, put it in your back pocket and pull it out later. So, so plants in fantasy world building. Um, it turns out that to like build a world, right? To make something realistic in a in a sci-fi or a fantasy series or or really in any kind of media, it needs to be at least to some extent believable. Now, there's some crazy stuff out there in sci-fi and fantasy. I kind of my my guilty pleasure is like crappy space opera like fantasy or sci-fi novels. Like I'll download them on Audible and drive around in my car and objectively most of them are really terrible. <laughs> like objectively they're bad, but like I love it and I love the world building. I love everything that goes into this stuff. Um, and what I've kind of seen just from my experience as being a nerd, I'm not a writer or anything like that, but the stories that resonate with us the most are the ones that relate to our lives in some way, right? Are, are the ones that are realistic enough that you can get into it, but different enough that you can kind of lose yourself in it a little bit. I think those those stories are the most compelling, where it's like, yeah, okay, that, that science kind of works. That science is kind of real. And I'm a scientist, so like, it's nice for me, or it's fun for me to listen to some of this stuff and read some of this stuff and be like, okay, that's believable, that's true, but then be able to like suspend my disbelief a little bit and, and listen to stuff that I'm like, that would never work, but it's really cool and I'm okay with it, okay? Um, so as I think a lot of writers and famous writers and storytellers build these universes, they think about the flora, so the plants that go into these universes, the fauna, the, the animals, um, things that are somewhere in between. There's a lot of fantasy out there and, and sci-fi out there where there's plant-animal hybrid kind of things, stuff that lives somewhere in the middle of those two groups. Um, but it gives people a touchstone. And I think that's really one of the biggest things is it's easy to lose yourself in sci-fi, but it's you can almost get too lost in it if there's not something that has a real element to it. So I think using real believable elements in some of these stories gives us a touchstone and kind of gives us an anchor in reality that lets us suspend the rest of our disbelief, or at least that's what it is for me. Um, so some examples like Avatar, uh, the James Cameron movie that came out God, has it been 10 years? Oh my goodness, I am getting so old. I was out of college. I was about to graduate college when that movie came out, and I apparently I'm old now. Um, but so much of this film uh, is about the environment. Is, is I mean, that's really, it's like Pocahontas Part 2. If you watch like Pocahontas or Dances with Wolves, it's pretty much the same story. But uh, there's so much uh, about this that is about the world that they live in, from the soul tree to the, the connection that um, the, the people on this planet have with the animals and the plants and everything else. That's so much of that world building. Um, and it was funny because after this movie came out, I remember seeing like articles and stuff come out on the internet about how people were disappointed like to leave the movie theater and walk outside and be like oh this is it like none of these plants glow uh, I can't like attach my hair to a dragon and like fly around right but uh, I think some of that is because 
um, maybe we don't understand well enough how incredibly complex some of the life on this planet actually is. And then there's the other avatar and the cabbages guy. Um, this is a classic. So this is something that I, I'm not say I grew up with, but I've watched a lot of. And the cabbages guy was always my favorite because he's just so heartbroken. Like every time you see him on the screen, his life is ruined, right? Like, and it's funny and it's sad. Uh, but again, plays a big role. And, and this, this whole series also is so much about people's connection to the world, right? There's all the different elementals that go into uh, airbenders, waterbenders, um, uh, what, earth and fire. Yeah, it's like Captain Planet minus the weird blue guy. Which, by the way, if you're out there listening or if you're in here, there is a really funny, uh, funny or die series um, from 10, 15 years ago where Don Cheadle, uh, who was um, War Machine in... Um, the Marvel Universe plays Captain Planet, and it is hilarious. And you need to go watch it later. Uh, probably not around children, but go watch it later. Um, and I can't talk about it too much on this podcast because this is like a safer work, family friendly podcast. Um, so we've got our two avatars, and then we have. Uh, so probably my biggest fandom is Lord of the Rings. I've read the and and. I, I used to read paper books. That used to be a thing. Uh, I've read this whole series, uh, including The Hobbit and some of the like side stories, three or four times. Um, and it's it's an undertaking, right? That is a lot of book. I think the whole series is like three or four thousand pages long. Like it's it's a lot. But I love this story so much, um, and we'll talk about it a little bit more. But uh, plants and the environment are such a huge thing in Lord of the Rings and in everything Tolkien did. He was a big um, plant nerd. Probably not, probably a little bit different, but he was way in the plants. That was something he talked about all the time. He loved the environment. He loved nature. And so much of what you see in Lord of the Rings, like when um, the forest is being cut down, when you see uh, Saruman making orcs and cutting down trees to like fuel the fires of what he's doing, was because of what Tolkien was seeing in Europe uh, with the destruction of the environment. It's like It was a political statement for his audience uh, because he loved the English countryside um, and he loves so much about the world uh, to, to Sam Gamgee the, and if you if you don't realize that Sam was the hero of this whole story you need to go watch it again okay you need to go read the story again uh, it's interesting because he was a gardener right he kind of gets pulled into this whole thing because he's cutting the, the grass or like trimming shrubs outside of Frodo's window a little too close and he gets sucked into this whole story. But he's the only one of the main characters in, uh, uh, in the Fellowship of the Ring, in The Lord of the Ring, that's not like nobility of some kind. And that's something that's really interesting to think about because like, uh, you know, if you look at Gandalf, he's essentially like an angel character in this, in this story. Uh, you've got the princes and the kings and even the other hobbits who come from like noble bloodlines in the Shire. And then you get kind of like silly what they portray as dim-witted Sam, um, who's just a guy. He's just a guy that loves plants. And there's this really beautiful scene that I don't think make it made it into the films um, in the novels where they get back to the Shire uh, after the whole thing. They destroy the ring, all this stuff. And they get back to the Shire, and it's been like cut down, right? Saruman's made it there. He has um, uh, turned it into industry essentially and he's ruined the shire from their perspective so they come back in kick them out and all of that stuff but there's this beautiful scene where the the gift that sam gets from galadriel is a box of dirt 
with seeds from some of the trees in Lothlorien. And where after they kick everyone out and start um, bringing things back to being right, Sam goes around planting trees throughout the Shire and just planting seeds and sprinkling a little bit of the soil uh, from Lorien. It's a beautiful scene that I wish they, and I understand why they didn't put it in the movie. It required a lot of exposition, like prior, right? Previous or prior, those words don't work when you combine them, uh, to that. Um, but if you ever get the chance or if you ever read or listen to the novels, that's one of my favorite things in the whole thing is when he goes back and kind of the whole wrap-up of this whole thing is him putting things right. Um, you see it in Norse and, uh, Norse and Celtic mythology with uh, Yggdrasil, the world tree. Uh, and this is just a visualization of that. And it's kind of hard to see probably, but all these little fruit on the tree of life of the world tree are all the different realms. And so when they talk about it, like in Thor and in the, the MCU, this is what they're referring back to is uh, old Norse mythology where the universe is held up by this giant tree, this ancient tree that is the essentially the parentage of everything that is. Um, because again, at that point in our history, everyone was so connected back to nature and the land and they lived not completely with the land, but it was a big part of what they did. And they worshiped uh, elemental spirits and earth spirits and things like that. And so this is a big part of the mythology that's become very popular today um, with Marvel. Uh, it become popular again. So in a lot of these series, we see that we get plant friends. And I'll, before I do these next two slides, which are plant friends and plant fiends, what's interesting to think about, and it's interesting to think about in today's world, is objectively speaking, these creatures, these plants, these plant-like creatures are not really objectively good or bad. They just do what they do. And they're only considered good or bad from the, uh, I guess, standpoint of the, the characters in the story, right? So the ants in Lord of the Rings, Treebeard and all the other ants, uh, he even says as part of the dialogue that they're impartial. They're not on anybody's side. They're just protecting the forest. Um, but the reason that they become good guys in the series is because protecting the forest was a big deal, right? And, and defeating Saruman, who was destroying the forest, was a big deal. And so they end up being like, you know, allies. But nature, I think, is in and of itself not good or bad. It, it just is, and we interact with it, and we give it these moral judgments, but a hurricane is not bad, right? A wildfire in and of itself is not bad. It's bad because of the way that maybe it affects our lives as humans, but if we weren't here, nature would kind of be in balance and take care of itself, and like a hurricane would blow through, and you know, yeah, plants would die and trees would blow down, but then they would come back. Uh, wildfires are an important part, an integral part of ecology, right? So there's seeds that won't, will not germinate uh, until a fire goes through, um, and it's, it's this whole process of renewal. So even as I talk about, you know, friends and fiends, they're not really either. They just are, and then the characters interact with them. So Lord of the Rings we've been talking about, that's a big one. Avatar is a big one. Uh, Norse mythology, but you see it in Marvel. Uh, Groot is such a funny character. Like, I love Groot. Uh, and not just because he's a tree, but, you know, because he's funny. But come on, it's because he's a tree. Uh, but he is, you know, a good guy. He's part of this universe that's good. Um, and in Farscape, one of the, uh, Farscape is maybe before some of y'all's time. Um, but one of the, one of the main characters is like a plant 
animal hybrid or a plant like sentient being hybrid and i was going to try to pronounce the name and I'm, i can't so i'm just not going to uh i'm just going to punt on that one and y'all can look it up later it's fine um but in a lot of these stories uh the environment helps in some way there's scenes um there's a cool character again because i'm a lord of the rings nerd i'm gonna go back to this in the books that didn't make it into the the movies because he would have been i think really hard to do called tom bombadil and he's cl- he's close to the, actually the beginning of um, the Fellowship of the Ring, and so they make it out of the Shire, and they end up in the forest, and they all almost die almost right away because it turns out most of the hobbits are really inept, like they don't know what they're doing. So they get out, they almost die, but then there's this character named Tom Bombadil that kind of rescues them, and he is essentially like an Earth spirit, like an Earth spirit type character uh, that saves them, saves them from all kinds of crazy stuff. There's like two or three whole chapters actually maybe more than that in the novel that gets left out of the movie completely because he I think he would have been a weird character to try to do right he wears like a bright yellow he kind of looks like um the man in the yellow hat or from from Curious George right he has a big blue hat he has a yellow raincoat and I I think he would have been I think he would have come off sillier in the movie than he's really intended to be but he's a great character uh and because of his connection to the the environment and the world he's able to uh help the you know the heroes in the story um if you shot if you search on google for uh plants in sci-fi and fantasy you mostly get the the bad ones right that's mostly what comes up is the 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 enemy characters or the antagonists so uh, if you haven't seen Little Shop of Horrors uh, most high schools at some point I think do that play because uh, it's a musical right so it was a, it was actually a movie that came out in the 1950s uh, first it was released first in the 1950s and then it became a stage musical and then in the late 80s uh, Frank Oz did it as a movie musical and it's hilarious so the the backstory is that this guy seymour owns a shop and he's given this plant that turns into this big monster that eats people uh and its name is audrey too because he has there's a love interest in the uh movie that's named audrey and so he names the plant audrey too and then i think audrey too eats audrey's husband or or boyfriend or whatever it's it's a whole weird thing but it's really funny um there's war of the worlds um, which is also a very old one, lit- written in the late 1800s by H.G. Wells, where people for, from where aliens from Mars come to take over the planet, and they've got these big like mechanical walker things. Uh, they call them tripods because they have three legs. Um, there was a kind of eh, okay movie with Tom Cruise about 15 or 20 years ago. That was it was not bad, but it was not also not good. Uh, but there's these red uh, plants that show up and start taking over the world. It's like very like body snatchers kind of uh has that kind of feel um harry potter has the whomping willow and the uh was it devil's snare no what is it called devil's snare okay good i didn't make something up uh again you can trust me most of the time but not all of the time uh star trek there was an old episode on the original series with uh kirk and william shatner uh called this side of paradise where they land on a planet and if they get too close to these plants they get sprayed in the face with pollen essentially that makes them laugh uncontrollably and uh abandon the enterprise is is kind of and of course at some point kirk does something that's probably heroic and stupid and saves the day because that's pretty much the original Star Trek series. That's pretty much the whole plot. They get in trouble. Kirk does something reckless, and then the day is saved. Um, let's see. The Happening 
if you haven't seen it, don't watch it. It's not that good. It's okay, but it's the same kind of story where the plants go crazy and start killing people. It's pretty much, uh, um, oh, what was the one with Sandra Bullock, uh, the Netflix series recently? Bird Box. It's pretty much Bird Box, but with plants, but not as good. So, eh, it's okay. Watch it if you want to. I. M. Night Shyamalan took a turn at some point. If you're listening, I'm sorry. You're great. I love Indian people. I'm one too, but yeah. Um, after, after Lady in the... I'm, I'm talking directly to M. Night Shyamalan right now. After uh, Lady in the Water was kind of the turn. It was weird. Anyway. Um, and then Mass Effect. There's a character in the first Mass Effect game called the Thorian um, that kind of does the same thing. It releases spores and turns people into slaves. Um, so let's talk about real plants in our world today that are maybe uh, equally strange to some of the stuff that you see in some of these, these series. They're not necessarily taking over people's brains and stuff, even though... There are a couple that if you use them can like will actually literally rewire your brain a little bit, not to maybe make you serve plants, but they'll mess you up a little bit. So um, we don't have to go very far to find some weird plants in today's world. Uh, There's plenty of them, and I've just pulled a few out as a selection of things that we can look at. So uh, this plant here is called Dracula simia, and it is the monkey face orchid. And so it's an orchid, and there's there's several... um, subspecies and varieties of this excuse me but they in this excuse me i can't stop hiccuping now uh in this dracula genus they look like monkey faces they really do and it's super weird and like the the longer you look at it the weirder it gets like you start to see like oh they've got teeth and oh there's a nose and some eyes and it's a little bit alarming so there's but there's a lot of species of these um so we'll start first by talking about parasitic plants, plants that do their entire life cycle by literally feeding off of a host. They're literally parasites. Um, and there's a few of them. Um, this is called the, I can't remember now. I, w- I had written it down and I deleted it. But, so this is the fruiting structure, or I'm sorry, the flower structure of a, a plant in Africa. Um, wild dogs eat it. They'll dig up the fruit. So the, the fruit is 100% underground. Most of this plant is 100% underground because it doesn't have leaves. It doesn't photosynthesize. It gets 100% of its nutrition and the things it needs to live by feeding off the roots of other plants. So you never see this plant until this wild-looking flower structure comes up above the ground. And I imagine when people were first discovering something like this, that it was a weird experience, right? Like, there's there's demons coming up. That's a demon. I'm going to die. But, yeah, it has this big kind of bread-like, it's almost like a breadfruit that lives underground, and dogs will dig it up and eat it, wild dogs and and things like that. Um, We have mistletoe which is also a parasite now mistletoe mistletoe that's on like christmas songs that people for whatever weird reason kiss under it's poisonous uh, like super poisonous actually it feeds 100 percent off of trees you can kill a tree uh and apparently it's romantic i don't know i don't get it but uh mistletoe is a weird thing so don't eat mistletoe um if you see a tree that is that should be dormant that shouldn't have leaves like in like now in january february uh, but it looks like it has leaves, it's probably mistletoe. We actually have a lot of it around here. It has these super sticky white berries that um, birds can eat. It's not toxic to birds, uh, but it sticks to them, and, and that's how the spread, the seed gets spread. It gets um, 
deposited in the way that birds do that on uh, other tree limbs where that little seed germinates and puts roots down into the the uh, vascular system of the plant and then up here we've got corpse flowers which literally smell like rotting meat they smell like corpses and they're also parasites they live off of roots but they grow in places where there really aren't bees and other pollinators. So they have co-evolved with flies and other uh, uh, carrion feeders to smell like the things that uh, these insects eat. And so they're attracted to, to, to meat, to, to carrion, to whatever decomposing uh, animals. Uh, flies are and so this plant smells that way so flies will come pollinated it's super weird there's some really weird uh relationships out there between plants and animals and actually so uh the podcast episode episode 10 that'll be released on um march 17th is pretty much uh so for those of you listening on itunes or spotify or whatever when this comes out it'll be next week uh but when that comes out we're talking all about plant animal relationships and uh uh, some of the other things like carnivorous plants. So carnivorous plants grow in places um, where they have really poor soil, right? So plants get a lot of their nutrition from the soil. Uh, nitrogen is kind of the big thing that plants use. Uh, but they are photosynthetic, so they have these green leaves, and so they do take um, sunlight, turn it into sugar. That's what plants do. That's their thing. But to get the nitrogen that they need, since they can't get it from the soil, uh, they do what we do and they get it from other organisms. And so they trap insects, uh, like, so this is called a sundew, and it has these weird lollipop-looking things that essentially are just sugar water. They're super sticky, and so when a fly or another insect lands on it, they get stuck and they get kind of rolled up in this leaf and digested alive. It's pretty metal. Um, there's the Venus flytrap, which is, I think, what everyone thinks of when you think of uh, carnivorous plants, where they make these little trigger hairs, something crawls in there, and... Uh, those leaves snap shut they'll even eat like small rodents and frogs and stuff get super weird um this is an interesting one this is called a uh, bladder pod so this plant actively hunts prey it create yeah right it creates it's more like a trap right like if you were going to set a trap for your prey so it grows in the water and it puts up these like little yellow flowers but all these little structures that come off of it actually are traps and they create an active suction uh, so there is negative pressure produced produced here and so they're actually like little underwater vacuum cleaners and so if little invertebrates if tiny little fish swim by they're actually actively sucked into the root structure of this plant which is terrifying right that's about this is about as close as we're going to get to like something that lives in a, a um shop and eats people um i get the I've, so when i searched for this when i was actually researching for the podcast episode the top question on Google, and I don't know what this says about us as a species, was, can carnivorous plants eat me? Like, can they eat humans? If they were big enough, technically, yeah, but most of these are about, you know, two or three inches tall, so I think you're probably solid. You're not going to get eaten by a plant, I hope. Uh, orchids. Again, we talked about the, the uh, monkey-faced orchid, but... Orchids have these really wild flowers. Um, this one, you kind of can't see half of it, but it's called the egret orchid, and it looks just like a bird in flight, like a dove or an egret in flight. Um, these are called flying duck orchids because 
I mean, look at them. And uh, I don't remember this one was called, like a Harlequin or something like that. So it looks like a face mask. There's some that look like bees because they're trying to attract bees to pollinate them. Um, there's all kinds of weird orchids out there. Um, fun fact, well, okay. I say fun fact, I may be used, I think it's fun. Um, we actually get vanilla from an orchid. So there's a plant called a vanilla orchid that'll grow 150, 200 feet, 200 feet straight up a tree, uh, puts on flowers. They have to be pollinated. Each flower has to be pollinated twice in order to produce a vanilla bean. Um, and it takes real specific, real crazy um, conditions for it to actually work. That's why vanilla is so expensive. If you ever bought vanilla, it's cr like real vanilla, it's crazy expensive because it's so hard to produce. Um, trees just in general are wild. They're wild. Um, the, I pulled just two or three, but think about a plant that in some cases is 400 feet tall, 350, 400 feet tall, that may have uh, 1,500 feet of roots um, headed out in every direction from the base of the tree. And the water that that tree uses are pulled from the very tips of those roots where the root hairs are, all along the system, but mostly out near the top. And they have to pull water all the way from the farthest roots all the way up to the top of that tree. So in some cases, uh, these trees are pulling water molecules a quarter of a mile or more. Uh, by the time they're done. And it's all done through a passive vacuum pump system. The little holes on the leaves open, release water vapor, and it creates a suction in the soil. Trees are wild, like they kinda shouldn't work. As they grow, they actually create kind of a lock system where each new ring is a little bit farther out. So as water goes up, if that vacuum pump kind of dries up or stops for whatever reason, the water will kind of move into that next lock system and just sit there. So they can store water up the trunk um, for this long passage. It's fascinating. Again, I think it's fascinating. Um, this is a bristlecone pine. So these are considered um, the oldest single organisms in the world. Uh, there's one in, in um, the Yellowstone National Park named Methuselah that is just over 5,000 years old. So when, when we were still, you know, technologically pretty much nothing, right? We had, we had a wheel and some other stuff. Okay, 5,000 years is not that long. But uh, technologically, we were very primitive. Um, this tree was still sitting up there in the mountains, which is incredible to think. As, as people took the first footsteps on this continent, some of these trees were, were already alive. Um, and it's just wild. So they may, they're twisted and gnarled. Uh, they don't get very tall, maybe 20 or 25 feet tall. Um, they may just have these little tufts of fur, fur. Oh my goodness, I'm talking about plant hybrids again. Leaves at the end of the branches, but they live for thousands of years. Uh, we actually don't know how long they can live. It, it, the, there's no way for us to really know. There was a, a weird case about 15, actually it was more than that, probably about 30 or 40 years ago, where a grad student uh, cut one down to see how old it was. That's a little sad. It was like 4,700 years old, and we cut it down to see how old it was. We do Humans do weird things. Um, to uh, Okay, so that's those are my favorite trees. I love bristlecone pines. I think they're so cool. Um and then we get the, the giant redwoods in California that are 350 or 400 feet tall. Trunks wide enough. Okay, so for scale, here's a person. Uh, and here's the trunk of these trees. These aren't even the biggest ones. Uh, there was one called uh, General Sherman that they drove cars through. It fell down a couple of years ago because it turns out you can't cut a tunnel in a tree that's 400 feet tall and weighs hundreds of tons and expect it to stand up forever. Uh, but 
they're big enough you can drive a truck through them. They're huge. Um, and then these are aspen trees. So if you've ever been up in Colorado, up above about 7,000 feet, even a little bit lower than that, uh, aspen trees, uh, so we call them stands, and these uh, one stand of aspen trees can uh, you know, extend 100 acres or more, uh, sometimes miles and square miles. Um, they're genetically identical. In a stand, every individual comes up from the root system. So if you were to take the, the, the genome of any of the trees in a stand of aspen, they're clones. They're all the same. That's how they reproduce. And so there's some theories that some stands of aspen may be 80 to 100,000 years old uh, with the same genetic material. Now, it's not an individual tree, so they're not te technically called the oldest trees. These guys still hold the honor, but uh, connected through the roots with the same genetic material for a hundred thousand years that's that to me that's wild that's wild so um that's kind of mostly what i had i wanted to leave it here and and talk about a couple of questions if you have any um definitely check out the podcast we'd love to to have more people listen to it for sure again like i said it's been pretty well i think pretty well received so far the people that are listening to it enjoy it but we're on itunes and spotify and really wherever else you find podcasts but you can find us at the website we're on facebook instagram twitter uh there's a fun facebook group for the the podcast that we just started called uh, Planthropology's Cool Plant People, which is actually where this is going out right now. Um, just really cool plant nerds or people that, you know, aspiring plant nerds, whatever. Yes, like these two. You can't see it, but Colby and Derek just fist bumped across the aisle, and it was rad. I'm glad that I got to see that happen. Um, so, any questions? Um, at the beginning of the podcast, you were talking about how plants are important for world building to make it more relatable. Um, has there ever been a time where plants actually ruin the experience for you? It's kind of been a hot topic in our sub in our area right now, because like, for example, the first scene in the new Jumanji movie is a tree that someone glued Asiatic lilies to. Yeah. Really okay. So if I, I don't know how, I hope this picked that up, but if it didn't, the question was, are, is there a time in world building that, uh, plants have ruined the experience for me? Like if we glue lilies to a tree, um, what, that was in the new Jumanji the movie. The first scene, it zooms in on this beautiful lily flower, and then it zooms out. It's on a tree. Okay, so on on Jumanji, the lilies grow on trees. Cool, uh, great. Um, one of the questions I got on the Facebook group actually was, uh, why can't we be more original <laughs> in some of this stuff? So it's like when you go to one of these, again, Avatar did a great job of this, but you go to one of these like faraway planets and you're like, that's a pine tree, right? So I think in some cases, I don't know that it ruins it for me, uh, but in some cases, yeah, it's like you could have tried a little harder on this. Like, and most, what's funny is that most like normal people would, wouldn't, would never notice that. But us plant nerds are like, this is, this is my curse, right? I, the curse of knowing too much about a thing. Um, I don't know that it's ever necessarily ruined it for me, but yeah, sometimes it is really weird when you're on some distant planet and it's like, you're in New Mexico, come on. Like, you have to, you know, you can drive through parts of New Mexico and it's like, oh, I'm going to have to rescue Matt Damon from here someday. He's going to get stuck in eastern New Mexico and we're going to have to go get him. Uh, it looks like Mars. Anyway. Just another example uh, on Flash, like a week or so ago, they had this 
super cool orchid that it only blooms every 25 years. They showed a picture of it. It was just a butterfly orchid. Okay, so the ones that you get at every grocery store ever. Yeah, Yeah. cool. (laughs) But, you know, it's all about, I think it's also all about just telling the story in the right way, right? How do you... um, how do you, maybe, I don't know about explain some of those things away, but how do you let people suspend their disbelief even in, the, in those cases? But yes, no, I know. When you see stuff sometimes, it's like, okay, whatever. So I'll do, uh, one of the questions that we got, uh, in addition to that, um, one of the questions I've gotten on the Facebook group, and I don't know if I should address this like right now, uh, but it's something that'll come up on the podcast over and over again is, is climate change real? Are, are we in trouble? That's a big, that's less lighthearted than the rest of it. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So objectively, yes. So if you're listening, yes, it is. Uh, but the, 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 I'll leave you with something hopeful is that we know that it's real. We know that it's happening and all of that. But what we don't know uh, is... Like, we know it's going to be bad, but it's, you know, when people tell you we have 10 years to live, don't buy that, okay? We have more time than that. Most of the climate change predictions from actual scientists that you see are like, not what's going to happen in 10 years, but what's going to happen in the next 100 or 200 years, right? So down the road, yeah, there's a projection that 500 years from now, we may have another 15 meters of ocean, right? Like as things melt, that's about 50 feet. Um, But that's assuming we don't do anything about it. And it turns out that there's a lot of people doing stuff about it. Uh, regardless of what you see on on social media or on the news sometimes we're we're working towards a better world and I think that's pretty hopeful and I think that listening or one thing I've really learned from recording this podcast is that we all do our little part right like yes there's big things that need to be done from like a policy level and all that but there's so many of us out there that are really taking little steps towards making this planet better and i think that makes me hopeful and i hope it does for for y'all too i hope that's something that you can take home and be like okay yes things are maybe not the best they could be but we're making progress and we're, we're headed in the right direction so any other questions Cool. Hey, thank you all so much for coming out and listening. Thank you for watching on uh, Facebook. And if you're listening to this podcast on March 10th, question mark, on or about March 10th, uh, thanks for being a part of it. Uh, Follow us on social media, rate, review, all the things that podcasters say you're supposed to do at the end of an episode. Um, Thanks to my department at Texas Tech, the Department of Plant and Soil Science, for being so supportive of this weird thing that I'm doing and talking at Lubbock Con and all kinds of stuff. It's really cool that I even get to record this podcast as part of my job. So thanks, and we'll see you next time. You may be thinking to yourself at this point, does Vikram's nerdiness know no bounds? It doesn't. It doesn't. It's eternal, and it's long-suffering, and it just keeps going. I hope you loved that. I had so much fun doing it again, and it was was great. Looking for more live content in the future. So if you're interested in maybe coming to a live show someday, keep an ear out. Keep an eye out. We'll be posting on social media about it eventually as that comes up. As always, you can find us on social media as Planthropology, Instagram, Twitter, and the Facebook. Look for the green background with the white tree and you'll find us. There's also a super 
awesome, amazing Facebook group called Planthropology's Cool Plant People. I hope you join it and you enjoy it. It's really wonderful, and we've got some great conversations about nerdy plant stuff. If you feel like supporting the show, head over to patreon.com slash planthropology. Uh, a commitment of even as little as a dollar a month goes a long way to making sure that this keeps happening and is as good as it can be. Y'all are wonderful. Thanks so much. Uh, leave us a review. Tell us what you think, and we will see you next week for episode 10 with a super special guest. Have a good one and I'll see you then.